Howdy. You're listening to the Think Francis podcast, a BCS Habitat for Humanity production. We're dedicated to promoting housing affordability, economic opportunity, and financial resiliency for families in Brazos County. This episode is part of a series of candidate interviews for the two races on the College Station City Council. The election is November 2nd, 2021. And by the way, the College Station City Council races are all at large. So if you're eligible to vote in College Station, you can vote for both races. I'll be honest with you, most people will stay home and let others decide the future of College Station, but we hope you don't. We hope you'll not only listen to the rest of these episodes, but also share this podcast with your friends and your neighbors. Now on to the interview. All right, so we're joined with David Levine of uh, College Station, obviously, running for place six of College Station City Council. David, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to uh, be able to take time to be here today. Perfect. So one of the first things that I wanted to ask you, maybe a little off topic, but since you are running for city council, you may not be the biggest name on the ticket for place six. Uh, your incumbent or the incumbent who's running again has been in politics for a very long time. So given that, what is one kind of interesting or unique thing about yourself that not a lot of people know about? You know, you bring up a good point with, with this being the last, hopefully off your election that college station has to endure. Um, uh, and going up against an incumbent that I believe has served at least 15 of the last 20 years on council. Um, uh, I thought this was the right time for somebody with my personality and my, uh, drive uh, to run and see if I can unseat an incumbent, which is not not easy in an even year, much right. less in an off year. Okay. So uh, really that's, um, you know, I've been in College Station 13 years, mm-hmm. College Station and Bryan, uh, and, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of that time not knowing or not thinking that this was my spot and that, and that this was what I needed to do. Uh, so I guess something interesting is that it, it just – this is almost a, a almost a calling that I've had in the last twelve months to say, you know what, the, the current council is out of touch. It's going to take somebody with a strong personality. It's going to take somebody with a drive that's willing to um, uh, make it happen to unseat an incumbent and defeat these charter amendments that uh, college station put forward. So, what do you feel, you know, beyond the drive to do this? What do you feel that you have? that you bring to the table that, say, the incumbent or other candidates in this race don't have that would set you apart to where you feel you're the best person for the job? You know, I think one of the things that's important is that the council needs to represent the current makeup of the city. Uh, I think that Brian's done a phenomenal job of starting to make that transition sure. to where you have uh, a council that has a good blend in order to protect the institutional memory of the city. Uh, but to also grow the city into the next, uh, into the next uh, generation. Um, I have spent the last several years of my life, uh, doing nothing but working to build businesses and to establish, uh, uh organizations and hire people in college station. Uh, and I think that's makes me very, very in tune with what it takes to be successful in college station in today's day and age and in the challenges that have been presented to us in the last 15, 18 months. I think some of what you're alluding to here also has to do with your age, right? Your early 30s. Sure. And uh, a lot of the city is actually, um, you know, even younger than that, given the student base. You know, that kind of what you're getting at as well. I, I never want to make an aging issue. Sure. Uh, I spent a lot of my career 
battling that from the other end of, yeah. well, you know, you don't have the experience because of your age. Um, and I think that, uh, experience through time is, is an important component of the council. Uh, however, there can be a point at which you become out of touch with what it takes to, to, uh, live, work and grow in the current environment. And I, and I think that's age aside. I think it is a, uh, uh, a distance to the goal line, so to speak, where uh, if you're not in it, doing it, and, and having to struggle with it right now, you may not appreciate what your constituents are going through. Okay. And one last politics question sure. before we move on to affordable housing, which, which is something we really like sure. to talk about. Um, I spoke with uh, Elizabeth Kuna uh-huh. um, earlier this week, last week, uh, about her race, and we touched on the issue of that she almost has a nickname and it's like, uh, Elizabeth six to one. Yeah. Because so often, so many times it, it's, she's the lone vote against or for or whatever mm-hmm. the issue is. If you're elected to me looking at it, there, it may end up being a lot of five to two or mm-hmm. if you're lucky enough, four to three. How do you feel you could, uh, overcome that imbalance? Um, if that's the case. Um, yeah, and I do appreciate what Elizabeth has been doing for the last 12 months uh, or nine months uh, in the fact that she's been willing to be the dissenting vote when it's necessary. Right. Um, I'm not beholden to anybody. Uh, I want to make sure that we're having the right discussions, that we're having the right, you know, topics yeah. and that the right things are on the agenda. And if, if I don't believe in it or I don't believe that, or I believe that it needs to have further discussion, um, I want my vote to be heard as a, uh, hey, this needs to be talked about further. And, you know, it's a snowball effect. If, if me and Elizabeth line up on something, that can help bring those four to threes or three to fours where we may actually be able to get some progress done, whereas the current council tends to be in lockstep on what they do. There's a lot of seven O's. Seems to be. Uh, and and it's, it's concerning. Not everything is perfect. So it's concerning when you see, start to see a lot of landslide uh, decisions. So one of your um, slogans, I was looking at your website yesterday, is that you want to keep the lights on and the bills low. Yes. How do you do that? It almost seems like you get one or the other. I mean, energy costs always going up. I yeah. get what you're saying, but can you explain that a little bit? Sure, more? absolutely. Um, you know, we've had a, a very challenging year when it comes to sure. energy. Uh, we've had a very challenging year when it comes to people's taxes. Uh, and at the end of the day, one of the big concerns that I'm sure you all see with home ownership and the transition from renting to ownership is one, the complexity of the process and two, the hidden costs. So people don't consider their taxes, their utilities, their long-term maintenance. Uh, but we're in a situation where uh, I don't think the council, I think the, for the first time in a while, the council voted to not increase property taxes this year. However, that's a bit of a, um, uh, a bit of a false call because we've had such a significant increase in property values yeah, I've seen that. Uh, that revenue has gone up without an increase in rate. Exactly. I think the most important thing that we can do is have a very honest discussion about where our money is being spent and is it being spent in the best way possible. Uh, you know, we have College Station Utilities, which is a, um, they're not, they're a utility company in the fact that they uh, provide power to right. houses, but they don't produce any power. So we're buying and reselling. Uh, we have, uh, uh, a significant budget for a city this size. Uh, and we had a big expense with tropical, with tropical mm. storm, with winter storm, uh, earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's, 
it's sitting down and saying, are the tax rates where they need to be and can we lower them? Uh, you know, a lot of people are afraid. It's, it's almost the, uh, it's the mentality that I hear from a lot of people within the A&M system, which is, if we don't spend this money, we'll never get it again. And so they feel like they just need to spend the money to keep the rates where they're at. Well, if we're having a significant increase in property values, do we need to look at it and say, okay, do we need to adjust this down to the level that we need? Yeah. So I am more a, a fan of efficient and proper spending than I am tax rates. Yeah. Okay. Taxes are a part of life. You're going to pay them, mm-hmm. but they need to be right. And they don't need to be just paid for the sake of being paid. If elected, are you going to um, start fighting to actually lower, say, property taxes? Or are you going to look at the real situation on the ground first and then make that call later? So I don't want to make any commitment yeah. that I can't stand behind. Um, I'm not, I'm not in politics, right? I'm not good at it. I don't want to be good at it. Uh, but I want to have a very honest discussion with the council and get it on the agenda as many times as I have to, to have a conversation about the budget. Uh, the most recent budget was just passed. I don't remember the number off the top of my head. Uh, but there was obviously an increase from last year. Uh, I think that one of the most important things that we can have is the responsibility of the city government is to protect its citizens' rights, protect its citizens' livelihood and well-being. So police, fire, city services, uh, and uh, you start creating this hierarchy, right? Um, I think the first thing I want to get on the agenda is a discussion of budget. And, and it may be when the next budget comes around. I don't know. I have to read the rules on what I can and can't bring up there. Sure. Uh, but I certainly don't think we're in a position where we need to start raising more funds to... Um, build more parks, more boulevards, or plant more trees. I think we're, we're in a beautiful city. It's well-maintained, uh, but we're not trying to build a utopia. We're trying to build a growing city that's on the precipice of explosive growth over the next couple of years. We'd like to take a minute to thank the Habitat Restore for furnishing the studio and let you know that everything, and I mean everything, in the video version of this podcast is currently for sale. Except the politicians, of course. If you haven't checked out our Restore, you definitely should. The Habitat for Humanity Restore is the Brazos Valley's premier resale shop where the proceeds of every piece of furniture or decor donated to us go on to help fund building decent, affordable, and sustainable homes for families right here in our community. Here you can find everything from the ordinary to the extraordinary to the downright strange. Seriously, we've had a stuffed coyote donated, which sold surprisingly fast. Currently, we have a great collection of home furniture, including a china cabinet and an antique Singer brand sewing machine. I might have to buy that one. I'm telling you, before you pay full price for home decor, check out Habitat Restore. I'll put the Restore links in the show notes for you. All right, back to the interview. So let's turn to affordable housing, something that Habitat for Humanity is very interested in. As you know, um, Habitat works in both cities. Mm -hmm. Um, as much as we can, but I think it's telling how, especially in the last five to 10 years, how few homes, a low income housing provider is able to build there. And overall, what we're seeing is it's the dirt. It's the land is becoming prohibitively expensive to build in the model we do, but also the way developers have been doing. Um, I wanted to ask if you had any ideas for how people could, uh, I think we both agree that we need more decent affordable housing, yeah, right? especially in College Station. And so how do we get more of that in the city that's both something a family likes that mm-hmm. wants to live in and one that they can afford? 
Well, and that's that's a question that if I had if I had the definitive answer to, I'd be in, I'd be in a different arena. Sure, right? sure. Um, it is, I think, an important discussion that needs to be had and continually had. Uh, we need to make sure that the city is supporting uh, initiatives and programs to uh, to move forward with the building of affordable housing that is not not just affordable but of a quality. Um, you know, you can build cheap houses, but that's not point here. When you start cutting costs to build the home because the dirt's so expensive, that's a problem. Obviously, in today's day and age, we have increases in prices of everything. We're dealing with an inflationary index. Um, I don't know the right answer, yeah. uh, but I know the discussions need to be had and need to be had continually. I think a big, uh, a big portion of that has to be discussed is impact fees. Mm-hmm. Uh, College Station has that's been a hot topic in College right. Station for several years. Uh, you know, the ROO needs the room needs to be discussed. I think that that's. Uh, a significant overreach. I think that's going to drive some of these property prices higher and not lower. Now, the RU is the uh, residential Restric- restricted. Restricted. <laughs> sorry. Restricted. Uh, it the right. overlay. And so everyone calls it the RU now. Uh, I just wanted to clear. Yeah. So, and that is essentially, you know, that the, it was billed to the citizens as neighborhood integrity and neighborhood safety, which is, Phenomenal. Both of those things are good things, but they're, when they're hiding behind what begins to feel like an anti-student and an anti-low mm-hmm. income regulation. Uh, uh, for those that don't know what it is, it is the ability for a neighborhood to come together uh, and vote to instill this occupancy overlay that would prevent more than two unrelated people from living in the same home. Uh, now, nobody, uh, nobody can tell me exactly how that's going to work. Uh, because nobody, I don't think any neighborhood has passed one yet, to my knowledge. Yeah, they haven't. Uh, and I think every neighborhood's kind of afraid uh, to be the first one to do it because there could be some legal challenges against it. Um, it's an overlay on top of the current zoning regulations. Sure. And it's an additional restriction on top of the short-term rental, long-term rental problem, right? The VRBOs and the Airbnbs. Yeah. But it's, it's billed as safety, integrity, neighborhood. <laughs> but what it does is it prevents... Uh, you know, there are situations where, whether it be students or low income houses, need to have roommates. They need to share the burden. Uh, and you're targeting that type of community, uh, because people want to say they support affordable housing, but they don't want it. It's the NIMBY crap. They don't want it sure. in their neighborhood. Okay. Well, now we know where you would have stood on that. Yeah. As you've been in. That would have been a definitive uh, no let's, vote. Let's go back to the uh, impact fees, because yes. that is something I wanted to discuss for a minute. It's sounding like, um, you would be of the position we need to take a look at those and see if we can lower them, or are you a fan of, of impact? Fees? No, I'm not a fan of impact. Okay. Fees. I think that the cost of development needs to be more about the developer for certain situations, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that it's the city's responsibility. If you're, if I'm in a, if I'm in a program and I, my developer, and I come to the city and say I want to build this percentage of low-income housing in my development, and maybe we have a mixed development or we have some some higher-income housing, some lower-income housing. In order to bring those property values up and to help bear that cost of development, then the city should have the ability through grants and through budget pieces to help with that. But just coming out and asking or requiring, I wouldn't have to say asking, or requiring developers to bear a burden that was not borne by previous buyers. You're asking new residents to pay what old residents didn't have to pay. Right. Uh, and I don't think that's equitable. So then how do you... Um, overcome the issue that impact fees are trying to solve. And that is, to give an example, there's a development going up 
past Pebble Creek, yeah. like far outside mm-hmm. of what I would consider the center. There's a huge line going in, a sewer line that's costing um, millions of dollars. How else do you pay for something like that? You know, that's a great question. I think that that's where we have to go back and look at what do we spend our capital improvement projects on? Um, are we spending them on, you know, I'd love to go back and look at what we really spent on the medians down Texas Avenue and medians down University. Mm-hmm. Were those necessary? Did they actually alleviate the problem? I know some of that cost was, was shared with, with um, the state, but what did the city spend on that? Was it necessary? I think that's what you have to write the, the, write your projects, uh, and you need to have your discussion with the developer. If I'm a developer and I'm buying a uh, hundred acre property and I'm going to put, let's say, four or five hundred houses on it, right? I'm, those this one's going to have a thousand. Yeah, so I say those numbers may be slightly off, but yeah. I mean, let's go look at uh, the speedway, uh, the development going that's on. That's what was, I was referencing. With Southern Point. Yeah. Southern Point actually had a mud pass. They had a, a yeah. back in 14, I think. Municipal utility, utility district. Which is, you know, essentially a capital improvement project fund. Oh. Uh, in my understanding, of okay. it, right? I'm not a civil engineer, I'm not a city planner, uh, and so we, I need to go back and look at these things and make sure that I'm not speaking out of turn. Right. Uh, but these these development costs are borne by other cities in different ways, and we need to be looking at cities of our similar size and saying, how are they doing it? We're not special. We have yeah. the same problems that every other city of our size has. So what you're saying, I think, is we need. You understand it's an issue, but we need to maybe look at some different um, we need to be ways a, to yeah. just fund this. We need to be a bit more creative in that versus just saying, uh, this is how we're going to fix it, uh, write us a check. Yeah. Well, another idea that um, we've spoken to um, other candidates for Place 6 about that I wanted to bring up is I referenced the dirt in College Station is so expensive that it's hard to build what we call modest teacher homes there. Um, have you considered another option that some cities have done, and that's simply lowering the minimum lot size? Every almost every city has that. Yeah. Example: San Antonio, three thousand square feet. That is enough dirt to be able to build a house on, but you just have to be more flexible with things. Uh, what would you? Um, where are your thoughts on that? I would definitely like to investigate something like that and see if it's if it's uh, if it makes sense if it's. Uh, Makes sense from a safety and from a um, public service perspective. Uh, obviously, if there's other cities that are doing it, somebody's doing research, and, uh, so I'm sure it's available out there. You know, I look at the midtown development that's going on right now. They are almost building shotgun lots. It's very interesting to look at. I live in that area, uh, and I see how close they're building the houses next to one another. So that becomes the question when you start shrinking lot sizes: is do you create an undue risk from fire or do you create an undue risk from safety uh, or sewer or water? Yeah. But no, that could be an interesting thing to look at. I think we're, we've done a little bit of research into this for other projects. Mm-hmm. And as far as the fire mm-hmm. prevention, um, we found that, that houses closer together, the materials are so good these days that new homes built close. Mm-hmm. They work. But anyway, okay, so you would, you would look into it as, yeah. as something that maybe we could explore. Sure. Okay. Um, I wanted to also ask you about, um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, I wanted to ask you about voter turnout. So on a different issue here, um, as you know, uh, especially in local elections, folks that are 40, 35 and under, I think it is, are many times less likely to vote 
um, and off years even worse uh, yep. than their parents or grandparents. Yes. Um, have you overcome that? You know, I think we would agree that it's a good thing when you have more involvement in local elections. Uh, how would you overcome that issue? So that's something we've been working on in my campaign. Uh, I have retained uh, a strategy firm when I undertook this run, uh, and I have uh, a campaign manager and a campaign strategist that are have experience with voter turnout and with uh, state and federal level elections. And the 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 messaging that we've been using has been primarily driven around voter turnout. We sent out, I think we sent out around 20,000 text messages so far uh, when the vote was coming up for, um, when the vote was coming up for the uh, paid parking. Okay. Uh, and the message, other than saying that I'm the one paid for it, uh, isn't about me getting elected. It's about people showing up polls and representing. Uh, all the conversations I'm having on the street with people I know is about getting involved in local politics. Uh, my goal for this, other than to win, right? At the end of the day, I'm not doing this because I want to lose. Right. My goal is to see a record voter turnout in an off year because I want this to be the last off year election that College Station has to suffer through. Right. And there is a, a charter amendment on the ballot for this year that the current council has slid back in after. So for some history, I can't remember 16 or 18. I think it was 18. 16. It was 18. We had a charter amendment placed on the ballot that changed. Uh, uh, changed city elections from three-year terms to four-year terms. By doing that, it lined up with the federal cycle. By lining with, with that passed with a 70% win rate. 70% of the people that turned out said they want to be on, on a conventional even year cycle. Less than three years later, the current council, who is mostly the same council that put this up last time, is putting it on the ballot again because they think that the language was unclear, trying to flip it back to odd years. There is no reason that I can conceive of to have these odd year elections other than ensuring low voter turnout and making it more difficult to unseat an incumbent. They want to hang their hat on, on uh, uh, nonpartisanship uh, and cost, but I would argue it's significantly more expensive. Doing it right now, knowing the amount of money I've spent out of my pocket, to this point, it is significantly more expensive to run an off year race. So um, we mentioned young people and voting. Uh, I think the biggest group that, that doesn't vote here are probably a lot of college students. Yes. Uh, have you seen any numbers as far as the percentage of college students that could be registered to vote here and just don't? I have, but I don't remember them off the top of my head. Um, I didn't bring my notepad with me. Um, but I know that I'm excited to see that there's a candidate forum along campus at Coldest this year. Okay. Uh, I unfortunately will be unlikely to make it unless they can move the date. Uh, they just sent it to me yesterday. Um, and I've got a uh, pre-arranged trip out of town, but either whether I'm there or not, mm-hmm. the fact that it's happening, yeah, uh, the fact that the, there is a converse, there was some conversation about trying to remove the voting location from campus, mm-hmm. which come on, like you can't tell me that that's not targeted at preventing students from voting. Because if you look at the other locations, if I recall correctly, there wasn't a any spirit bus that went anywhere near. So to get somebody to vote now, they either have to Uber or they have to take a uh, spirit bus to take a transit bus or they have to walk uh, which we're having a hard enough getting time to turn out when it's on campus how much harder is it going to be if, if they've got to make you know a hike wow um, you know the, the off year turnout numbers are terrible uh, my expectation is yeah, even with a push we might see less than 10,000 people show up this year out of 100 to, out of over 100,000 yeah. less than 10% voter turnout is going to decide the fate of this city 
And then, God forbid, we end up in a runoff situation. Uh, the last off-year runoff, less than a thousand people showed up. You're talking about less than one percent of the city making the decision for everyone because we haven't been able to accurately convey the importance of local elections. And even to me, if you had asked me three or four years ago, you know, how important local elections, like, oh, whatever, it's just a bunch of people getting together talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've come to realize that local elections are truly more important than even state or federal elections, what happens in our day-to-day lives. And it's it's passing that message along. Okay. Well, with the few minutes we have left, uh, is there anything you wanted to touch on that we haven't talked about yet or anything you want to tell prospective voters that we haven't discussed? Show up and vote. Uh, whether it's for me or against me, I don't even care. Show up and vote. I want to see the charter amendments get knocked down, and I want to see the true representation of College Station's population show up. You know, if we could have, you know, I want to win. I'm, I'm in this to win. I'm spending the money to win. But if I were to lose this race, whether it's either the incumbent or to the third challenger, uh, and we had 25,000 people show up, okay, you know what? I did, I did my job. We got people out to vote. We got people to realize they need to be involved in local, local politics. Perfect. Um, well, if somebody wants to reach out to your campaign, learn more about you, yeah, help your campaign, how would they do that? So we have a website set up, which is uh, davidforcollegestation.com. Uh, we're at very active on Facebook. Okay. Uh, we are doing a couple of meet and greets, uh, not only with some organizations, but solo. Uh, we'll get those posted on Facebook wherever we can. Uh, we have a, uh, for donations, which we'll, we, we do take donations where <laughs> I know I'm spending money out of my pocket, but I'm happy to take any help we can get. Uh, we also have our signs. Uh, they started going out yesterday. Uh, and we have yard signs available at no cost. Or if you want to donate to us as well, you can find that on the website. Okay, perfect. Well, David, it has been a pleasure Absolutely. to speak to you today. Thank you so much for coming on Think Brazos. Again, this is David Levine um, for the College Station City Council mm-hmm. Place 6, which yep. the election is November 2nd. Correct. Perfect. Thank you so much. Absolutely. appreciate it. Thank you. Think Brass's podcast is brought to you by Bryan College Station Habitat for Humanity. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, iHeartRadio, and Amazon Alexa. We'd love to hear from you and what you think of our content. You can send us an email at thinkbrasses at gmail.com or message us through social media. Thanks for listening, and just remember, think local, think Brasses.